Hello and welcome to another edition of the Who Says No NBA Trade Podcast. We are slowly creeping towards the playoffs and all these transactions and signings are starting to make themselves clear as to what we're good, what we're bad, what we're kind of irrelevant. My name is Colin Ward-Henninger. I am a writer, NBA writer at CBSSports.com. And joining me as this regular season winds to a close is one of the only guys I want to talk to about what's going on in the NBA and that is Sam Quinn, another NBA writer at CBS Sports. He's joined me for many of these, but this one is going to be the best, he promises. Sam, how are you doing? You say I promises? I've made no such promises, man. Don't get the don't get the audience's hopes up. I got the text. I'm gonna show I'm gonna air the receipts. Oh, of course. Okay, Vivian. Um well you're talking about relevance with some of these moves. Like, you know, screw James Harden, he's not relevant because he's not gonna get mentioned on this podcast. It's also like with the injuries that are going on around the NBA and all the talk of like, you know, Embiid, is he the MVP because he missed 18 games or whatever? It's like, we have to have the discussion. Like, if you're not playing right now, are you even relevant to the NBA? Well, like, if a James Harden sprains his hamstring in a forest, does he really exist? That, is that the right phrase? It's like what, if he, has a, what if he has a setback? During does the, he make uh, a sound? It's James Harden, so he does make a sound, and it's a whine to a ref. Um, oh, too soon. But the point of the matter is like, yeah, he's not relevant because we're specifically not talking about him today because we're talking about underrated players. That's right. We decided to to use this time, you know, not a whole lot going on in the NBA right now. Everybody's kind of gearing up. A lot of teams are tanking. A lot of teams are resting, guys. So we thought we were kind of revisit free agency, the trade season, um, any transaction that's really happened this year that has kind of gone under the radar. So there's a lot of you know, obviously big name things that happen, the James Harden trade, for example, things like that we all know about, uh, big time signings. But there were a lot of kind of smaller moves that that people probably didn't notice that are, are starting to show themselves as being uh, pretty prudent, good moves. So we're just going to go through a few of them. Uh, we don't know how much time we're going to spend on them because, you know, I don't know how much the, the, the audience wants to hear about Tory Craig, Sam. I'm not quite sure. Did you have Tory Craig on your list? I didn't, but I regret it now that I, I hear that. I added him while we were talking. While uh, we were talking. That's professionalism right. there. That's right. I swooped in. I was like, oh, Tory Craig. Isn't that weird? Isn't it a weird state of affairs when in your life you see Tory Craig's name and you get excited? That's kind of strange. I mean, I've been a fan of his for a while. Like when the Bucks signed him for the minimum, I was just like, oh, as far as minimum signings go, this is a great move. But I was just worried when he got to Phoenix, he was going to get buried. But he's actually been very good for them. Yeah, so let's just let's lead off with him. Um, why did the Bucks get rid of him? I don't have a good answer, especially because they want to switch. And Torrey Craig is like he's not like the greatest defender on earth, but like if you need somebody to play the four, or maybe small ball five, and switch and like maybe shoot a little. He's a very inconsistent shooter, but he shot well in the playoffs for Denver in the past. Like that's a weird guy to get rid of. Like he's really the last guy on your roster that you you want, right? Like you'd rather have the Nassis on Ted Akunpo than him. It's weird, right? They do have a weird attachment. I guess it's I guess it's not well, that. Well, it's not weird. We it's understandable why. <laughs> why they want to give the Nasus all the playing time he gets. But I mean, Tory Craig since going to Phoenix, uh, 38% from three, 16 minutes a game. Obviously, we know what he can do defensively, scoring six points, six points, four rebounds. I mean, what else are you really looking for? And he's taking time uh, that they don't have to play Frank Kaminsky, so that's always good. I think going back to the Thanasis thing, like Torrey Craig is somebody where when you watch the game, you don't really notice him. Like he just kind of does his job quietly. He doesn't do anything super flashy. When Thanasis is in the game, for better or worse, you notice everything that he does. Like he's a very loud player, if that makes sense. Like stuff is just always happening around him. A lot of the time it's bad, but sometimes it's good. If you're a team like the Bucks or the Suns who like have star players and like are trying to win things, wouldn't you rather have the quiet guy than the loud guy? Apparently. He's, he, that reminds you, he's kind of like a, a low-budge Kelly Oubre. Like, that was what I thought when I watched him play. I'm like, Kelly Oubre's always doing something, but it's not necessarily helpful. Yeah, I was going to say, he's a lot bulkier than <laughs> Kelly Oubre. I meant, I meant in terms of their yeah. style. No, no, I I get it. You're, there is something to that. I mean, I don't know what the shooting numbers are now, but like with Kelly's start to the season, he, he was shooting kind of Tory Craig-ish, but... Yeah, you're right. Like, as far as an 10th or 11th guy for a team like the Suns, it's hard to do much better than Torrey Craig. Like, he doesn't have to play a minute in the playoffs, but when you get to, like, the Lakers matchup and you need somebody to throw on LeBron for, like, the last, I don't know, every minute that you can't put Bridges and you can't put 
Crowder on him. Like, yeah, it's a good guy to have. Yeah, never hurts to have a guy like that. And you're talking about loud. I have to just tell you, something happened tonight. Did you know that a beer could explode in your house? Did you know that that was a thing? Wait. Well, I've seen The Simpsons, so I do know the answer is yes, if you shake it <laughs> enough. What happened to the beer in your house? So my wife and I are sitting at the dinner table, having a nice, peaceful dinner. Okay, I'm going to stop you here. You're having a beer with dinner with your wife? Sam, you can't interrupt me, okay? This is not... Okay. And first of the all, floor is yours. there'd be nothing wrong with that. But second well, no, I'm saying you need a more romantic <laughs> drink. If you're having a nice dinner with your wife, have a glass of wine. I'm not a wine guy. I prefer a, a nice, expensive beer that has wax around the around the top. I don't know, man. You're, this is going to be a tough sell, but go on. <laughs> but, I, but I digress. Uh, so we're sitting there. I'm not having a beer. I'm just drinking water because I'm still technically working. Uh, I don't like to be drunk while I'm working all the time. So uh, <laughs> I've heard you there, and we hear this loud bang and something that sounds like glass breaking. So we immediately think we're being invaded or robbed or something. So I go grab the aluminum baseball bat and we walk over and we start to smell the very strong odor of beer. It smells like a frat house or a college bar or whatever. We walk into our bar and we had an entire case of beers that Hannah's friend had given us. who works at a brewery and one of them, four of the beers were swollen like the tops were swollen and they were overflowing with beer. They ex- they literally exploded just sitting in the bar. Nobody touched them. Well, that's my qu- If they're just sitting in the bar, like how does that happen? Like, I mean, I hate to use the Simpsons as like a scientific source. In the episode of the Simpsons where the beer exploded, Bart shook it up in the paint can thing. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I saw that, that one. But yeah. So if they're just sitting in your bar, how does that happen? Yeah, I looked did it you up. Look it up after. It, it, yeah. I did. I did research. It's a thing. It's called hop creep, H O P space C R E E P. Look it up. Um, basically, it happens with a lot of like craft beers. Um, yeast is still active in the beer, so if you don't store it cool enough, 55 degrees Fahrenheit or below, uh, that yeast will continue to eat the sugars and create gas, and slowly but surely, it'll explode your can. So. Well, like, well, how big is the explosion? Would this like if this was stored in the wrong place, like, could it have exploded and, like, set off a chain reaction that blew up your house? Uh, I guess if it was near some sort of combustible gas or something. Yeah. Uh, apparently, it's, well, it's caused is, some damage. This is good to know. Also, is it wrong that the first question that came to mind when I heard this story was, Colin, you're a pitcher. Why do you have a bat? Oh, come on. I, I Colin, had... for those who do not have not listened to this podcast, Colin was a college pitcher. It seems a little weird to me that your weapon of choice is a bat. Batted fourth in high school. In adult league after college, I hit like four home runs. All right. I know what I, I know how well, to handle that. That's probably bat. true of all pitchers, right? Like you were all good hitters growing up, but you just right. happened to be better pitching, right? I and like you not, still put the not all of us. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, anyway. how many great pitchers do you think grew up as like hitting ninth in their rotate in their lineup when they were in little league, right? Like I feel like if you're a good enough athlete to pitch in college, you're probably like you have good enough hand-eye coordination to be a good hitter by little league standards. Pitcher's the best athlete on the field, but we have gotten so far off topic. Wait, that's not pitch. true, but we're not going to get into this now. Anyway, go on. Talk about okay. basketball. Okay. We, I think we've wrapped up the Tory Craig. He's as explosive as a beer can. Who's, your, who's a guy on your list? We don't have to go in any sort of order. So speaking of guys who are loud, it's Bruce Brown is loud in a good way. Like, when he does something good, it's like you notice it because he's not supposed to do it. He is such a good offensive rebounder. Like, he might be the best offensive rebounding guard in basketball. Steve Nash uses him in this, like, weird way as, like, almost a center on offense where they run pick and roll and he's the roller. Like, it's sort of ironic because they they traded for him sort of thinking, oh, he'll be a defensive stopper. I don't think he's been that good for them defensively. Synergy has him in the 19th percentile defensively. I think he's better than that, and I think he was very good on the Pistons. But, like, shout out to Bruce Brown for sort of, like, Zach Lowe has talked about this. I'm not I'm not making up new ground here. He's kind of invented a position. It's very odd, and the strangest thing to me, so, like, we both talked about in the beginning of the year how we thought it was weird that Bruce Brown wasn't playing. And, you know, it turns out, hey, we were probably right about that. But for the reasons, though, that's the weird thing. Right. Um, when he was on the Pistons, especially when he started – 
getting more playing time when their season just completely went under last year, they were talking about him as a point guard. He was he was facilitating. He was dishing out some assists. He had like some seven assist games. Uh, I think I remember reading an article from a local Detroit writer saying like, hey, yeah, the Pistons want this guy to be like their ball handler of the future. Uh, now he goes to the Nets and he, he's basically a power forward. <laughs> it's just a, it's been a, a wild ride for Bruce Brown, but he's he's incredibly effective and I love watching him on the court. Can we just talk about the weird sequence of events that led like Detroit's in a pretty good spot right now, right? Like Sadiq Bay is really good. Isaiah Stewart's really good. Jeremy Grant has his breakout season. They're rebuilding, but look at all of the good young players on their team that are now or on their team last year rather that are now doing well elsewhere. Like they chose Mason Plumley over Christian Wood. They gave Bruce Brown to the Nets for free. Like Svima Kailuk is now on the Thunder. Like all of their good, they, they somehow had a rebuilding offseason that went well that involved giving away all of their own best young players. It's so Delon, Delon Wright, he's not that young, but he's pretty good. Delon Wright, I just don't think is very good. Oh, come on. Delon Wright makes one awesome play, usually based off energy and athleticism, like every game. But other than that, like he can't shoot. I don't really, he's not a very good defender. I don't know. I'm not on the Delon Wright train. I was just trying to throw out like one name that uh, that you didn't talk about, and you just well, you I know, talk about everybody because they got rid of everybody. It. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's the Pistons really are one of the they're one of the stranger teams in, in recent memory in terms of their offseason activity. Like to pay to out the wazoo for Jeremy Grant, who obviously has been much better this year, but we're still not sure. Is his percentages have dipped? His efficiency's down? Like we don't know what level of player he's going to be moving forward. Like you said. Christian Wood seemed like, I mean, you got this guy in your backyard. He's going to be really, really good. And they just let him go to sign five centers. So very strange for Detroit. But, they uh, trade Luke Kennard too, but like that trade in hindsight looks great because Luke Kennard is making $64 million to not really play much for the Clippers. Meanwhile, Sadiq Bay, like if you redid that draft, where would you pick Sadiq Bay? Oh, I'd have to look at the draft. But I think what I, I was doing mocks, I, I love Sadiq Bay. I had him like, I, I was like of the camp, like if you're gonna take a Coro, why not just take Sadiq Bay? Because he can. Yeah, here's my question. Thoughts. Who says no, Colin? James Wiseman for Sadiq Bay. Oh, Sam, too soon, man. The guys the Warriors would say no, but they'd be wrong for it. I'm gonna <laughs> plant my flag on this right now. Sadiq Bay is gonna have a better NBA career than James Wiseman. The Warriors would do it. They're gonna what they're gonna do is they're gonna do what all teams first. do. They're gonna do what the Kings did with Marvin Bagley, where like they hold on forever and ever. And by the time they're ready to trade, oh, he doesn't have any value anymore, shockingly. I have two things to say. One, Sadiq Bey has some really bad games. Like, I He's probably, a rookie! I probably watch him more than other people. Um, another thing, he's 22. James Wiseman is 19. So he should be better okay. than James Wiseman right now. My argument is that look at the Grizzlies and tell me that 22-year-olds can't improve. Like, Sadiq Bey still has a lot of room to grow. Brandon Clark hasn't gotten much better. Okay, look at all the other guys that they pick. They're picking in like the 30s. Like Desmond Bain, over the course of this season, it's like that's another guy. If you redid that draft, Desmond Bain's going in the top 10 and maybe higher. I love Desmond Bain too. Xavier Tillman, just... who's old and turns out to shockingly be a very good rookie. I, I don't know. I just don't really buy into this idea that you have to draft teenagers. I agree with you, but I also think you. Jeremy Grant too, by the way. You need to reserve your judgment of 19-year-olds for a little bit when a 2010-year-old comes in and he's better. Like, Frank Mason was better than De'Aaron Fox for, like, the first month of the season, the rookie year. Okay, you're, you're comparing, like, Frank Mason was good for a rookie point guard. I think Sadiq Bey would be starting for the Nets if they hadn't traded that pick. Like, well, I mean, that's the reason. You're, you're putting me in a position where I have to, like, like say that Sadiq Bey's bad. I love Sadiq Bey. I thought that was part of the reason. I was hoping the Warriors would trade down and get a guy like him because he could fit in right away and be helpful right away. So, well, I, mean, I just I'm, think it's, I think more than anything, it's really funny that two separate contenders had a chance to get this guy who's 22 and is going to be cheap for four years. The Clippers and the Nets both really could have used Sadiq Bay and they both didn't take him, which is just like, it's kind of wild to me to think that like the rebuilding team outfoxed the Nets and the Clippers for this guy who's going to contribute right away. Yeah, it was wild. And when I when it first happened, I was like, oh, no, not the Pistons. I wanted to go to a contender. But, I mean, hey, he's making the most of it. More I mean, they're, in a few years when they're, like, actually good and have accumulated a fair number of high lottery picks, like, that pick's going to look very good. I, I don't 
How did we get on Sadiq Bay? Because we're talking about Bruce Brown. Yeah, we, we were talking about Bruce Brown. We used to play for the Pistons. And there we, we go. We talked about all the teams. Yeah. So anyway, since we're on the Nets, uh, I also had Jeff Green on my list. We don't need to get too much into it. But, man, how important has that guy been for that team? Well, I, I always joke that the road to hell is paved with teams that traded for Jeff Green. Like, how many contenders have acquired Jeff Green thinking he's the missing piece and you know, have it blown up. We're going to be the ones to unlock it. I can tell right? you he's got that well, untapped potential. And he goes to the Nets for the minimum. And it's like, now is the time. Now is when he's finally <laughs> figured it out. And like, I think a lot of it is just that he's shooting better, right? Like where, what's he shooting? Is it like 42% for three? Or that's yeah. where he was before. He's defending fairly well. Like he still has that top five pick pedigree. He can dribble a little bit. Like he can create some stuff. The Rockets, I think really unlocked him last year when they moved him to center. And the Nets haven't played him at center too much, at least since they got Blake Griffin and to Nick Claxton really emerged. Like they're using him more as a forward, but they unlocked some of those four, some of those center skills where like he was really good in pick and roll for the Rockets last year. And that's a weapon that the Nets now have. He can play in a lot of different ways. You're right. He's been awesome for them. Yeah. He's 30, probably their fourth best player, right? Three, by the or way. fifth best player. Joe Harris yeah. is number four. He's and their that, fifth best player. I guess the question will be how will he kind of translate to the playoffs but i mean you think a you know, having veteran guy like that I, I i can see him definitely contributing in a few playoffs well here. he's had a few huge playoff games right like game seven against the celtics in 2018 he was the second best player on the floor the issue for him is the issue is going to be the same for all the nets role players where like if he shoots 44 percent on open threes the nets are going to win the title if he shoots 32 percent they're not the right answer is probably somewhere in between but teams are going to leave him wide open to cover everybody else. You better knock him down. It's a make or miss league. I don't know if you've heard that, Sam. No, I've never heard that before. Never heard that before. Yeah, I, I think I just made it up, actually. Who's next on my list? We're going to stay in New York. He's not underrated, and there's a certain segment of Twitter that really wants to overrate him. Derrick Rose has been really good for the Knicks. And, like, I doubted the trade because I thought it was going to cost Emmanuel quickly minutes and shots. It has a little bit. But, like, if it were up to me, Emmanuel quickly would just be playing 35 minutes a game. But Knicks That's are, why you're not Tom Thibodeau. Knicks are 16-7 and seven since the trade. He's shooting career-best 37.1% on threes. He gives the offense some organization that it sorely needs. But, like, more than anything, it's cost Alfred Payton minutes. And Alfred <laughs> Payton is the worst starting player in the NBA. Or Alfred Payton slander. Here we go. Um, yeah, before this eight-game winning streak, he was playing 26 minutes a game. He's now down to like 19. So kudos to Derrick Rose. If nothing else, he's taken horrible minutes and gotten them up to average. So like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say the Knicks are like genuinely four seed quality. But since Derrick Rose has gotten there, when he's played for them, like he's been exactly as advertised. He's really helped the offense. He's getting them buckets. Like he's shooting well, which is helping RJ Barrett and Julius Randle. I just, he's been very good for them. Yeah, he's gotten into the 30s in, in minutes in a couple of these games during the win streak. So, I mean, you know, Tibbs tip, back at it again. Like, that's his thing. Yeah. So, like, when they traded for him, it was kind of like, oh, no, like, what are they doing? They're going to make this, like, desperate bid for the playoffs and end up failing. And then, you know, like you said, costing quickly minutes or taking minutes away from younger guys or whatever. Now it's like, if they're the four seed, it's like. Hell yeah, we got Derrick Rose. We got a, another guy besides Julius Randle who can actually create a shot. So, I mean, turns out if he can stay healthy, I mean, he'll he'll be helpful for them. I think when you're kind of one of those teams where you're like, you know, you're young and you should be rebuilding, but you're outperforming expectations a little bit. You have to be very careful about the kind of win now moves you make, where if you just give up a second round pick for an expiring contract like the Knicks did for Derrick Rose, that can go badly because that second round pick might turn out to be a pretty valuable asset. You have to hope not only that it makes your team better, but that it helps you develop the young guys you have that actually matter to your future. And I think Derrick Rose has done that. He's taken a lot of pressure off of RJ Barrett. The shooting has helped RJ Barrett a lot. Now Barrett is shooting way better. Like I think he's somebody who having him has helped make their young players better and has taught them a lot. So even if you don't end up winning anything this year, and they're probably not, they're probably going to lose in the first round. You got value out of that second round pick beyond just improving in the short term, which yeah. I think you have to do. It's like yeah. the Thunder last year. They didn't add anybody at the deadline or they didn't add anybody major, but like they talked about trades. There were some, oh, why don't they, why aren't they a buyer? So when you're that sort of team that is an unexpected success, 
Chris Paul has a lot of value as a developmental guy. It's that sort of thing. Derrick Rose isn't Chris Paul, but I think he's helped their young guys develop. Yeah, and like everybody loves him, right? Like all, all the guys he plays with. I mean, Tibbs more than anybody, right? <laughs> him and Taj Gibson are going to be getting 40 minutes a game in the playoffs. I'm surprised the wall dang isn't on this team, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I think I'm just like piggybacking off of yours because I got another Nick, and that's uh, Mr. Nerlens Noel. How about this that's guy, huh? Yeah, I mean, journeyman, kind of in and out of the rotation in a lot of places, kind of settle into being a backup. Uh, Mitchell Robinson goes down, and now he's the Knicks starting center, and he's played really, really well. Really good rebounder, shot blocker, obviously. Does all, like, the dirty stuff that Julius Randle has no interest in doing and just allows him to to be the offensive god that he's become. Uh, obviously, Mitchell Robinson's injury could have been really huge for them, but he, he really stepped in and the aforementioned Taj Gibson getting the backup minutes now. So uh, I think it's one of those signings where you're like, oh, okay, Nerlens Noel next. But now it turns out if they're, you know, a, a four or five seed in the playoffs and this guy's their starting center, hey, good thing we signed him. I think there was sort of an overcorrection on Nerlens Noel where like, oh, he's a top five pick, or I guess he was number six. The Mavs offered him that $70 million contract that he turned down. And like we all joked about that, we made the memes, yada, yada, yada. But then he's like taking the minimum with the Thunder for several consecutive years he just had the feeling like, well, this is wrong. Like, he's not a minimum player. And now he ends up on the Knicks. And, like, they're the number four ranked defense. And he's the best defender on that team, right? Especially yeah. with Mr. Robinson out. Like, maybe Mr. Oh, Robinson. Alfred Payton. That's the only reason he's starting, right? I, I, I'm not going to sit here and allow you to say anything positive about <laughs> Alfred. We're just, that's not the kind of podcast that this is. But, like, they're the fourth best defense in the NBA. They're on an eight-game winning streak. And Nerland Zoel being, like, a great great rim protector not just a good one is the, one of the biggest reasons why now he's still flawed he still has stone hands he can't do much on offense but like if you're getting a like a the you know like the main guy on a top five defense for i think he's paying five million this year something like that like that's a great great deal yeah and it's like you know it's a no-lose situation as a starter he's at 8.2 points 9.6 rebounds 2.9 blocks for 36 minutes so I mean, what else are you asking for from if you're the Knicks? You don't care about offense. Let's play defense. I man. wish he could catch the ball, but other than that. Well, that could be said of a lot of players. Watching LaMelo Ball throw no-look passes to Bismack Biombo was one of the most entertaining things about the early part of the season. Drummond has had some foibles with the Lakers, too. Bouncing off his face out of bounds. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, we really underrate catching the ball as a skill. But, like, there are some centers that really can't do it. Are we finally going to leave New York? Because I have like a transition guy if we're leaving New York. Wait wait a second. I just looked through my list. I have another guy, Alec Burks. Oh, there we go. Okay, sure. I mean, he's yeah. the only guy on that team that can shoot because Reggie yeah. Bullock is... Yeah, we don't need to uh, get too much yeah. into it. But he's he's been, uh, at times, there, you know, when Rose was out, kind of their only bench playmaker. No offense. I believe he's their offensive rating leader, too. And it makes sense because he's the only guy on the team that can shoot. Yeah, so I got to watch a lot of him with Golden State. Uh, he's awesome. He carried the team last year when they were just god-awful. Um, so um, I don't really have a lot to say about him. Just we were talking about the Knicks, so I had another Knicks. All I have to say is congratulations to the only shooter on the Knicks. Well, I guess Emmanuel quickly, but... Yeah. Imagine him in practice doing like the shooting contest after the game. They oh, must, yeah, he must be like, cleaning up. Yeah, <laughs> he's right. Curry. Well, it's like they always do it for money. So like on that roster, like he might just every practice walking around collecting $100 bills. I wonder how Julius Randle shoots in practice. Like when he shoots, I never think it's going in, but it goes in. The degree in of difficulty on his shots. Of the time. That's, that's the thing. We never see him take open shots. It's always like fadeaways, like weird. We're going to give you the ball and let you create. Like that's their offense. The premise of their offense is basically what if Julius Randle was actually Kobe Bryant? And it's <laughs> kind of wild to watch, but I'm sure it's not like that in practice. It's like. I, I see him sometimes and he gets like frustrated that like either he hasn't gotten the ball or he's missed a few shots that he thinks he should have made. And like his go-to shot to like, Hey, let me get back on track is like a baseline spin fadeaway, like, like a, a mid range fadeaway. I'm like, this is so odd. Like most people do like a two dribble pull up or like a crossover step back. This guy's taking like the hardest shot in the world. And then he just switches it kind of nods his head. Like, all right, I got it back. I mean, he has the ultimate green light, right? Like, what's green? He has, like, I don't know. what's Is there, like, an ultraviolet for green? Like, an ultra green? An That's ultra what he green. has. That's the color of his light. Sounds like the next uh, Zack Snyder DC movie. 
Did you see the proposed title for Batman versus Superman that he wanted to use? No. Was it Superman versus Batman? No, it was like Batman versus Superman, Son of Sun versus Night of Night. I got two. We got two <laughs> hours into the Zack Snyder cut, and we were like, "There's two more hours of this. We're not. We can't do it. We opted out." Like, I don't know why they didn't release that as a miniseries. We're like, do five 40-minute episodes or something. The the our our the we had to turn it off was they were in some sort of like giant factory or something and they needed to get to the top and it was Batman, Wonder Woman, the Flash and whoever and they took the stairs. <laughs> and we had to watch them walk up the stairs for like 35 seconds. We're like, what are we doing? They couldn't like zoom up to the top with using their superpowers. So, yeah, well, I, I really want to know how much time could they have shaved off the runtime without any of the Wonder Woman slow-mo? It's a lot. Of, it's a lot it was really like an extra 10 minutes of padding to that movie. Also, I mean, we don't need to get too much into this, but isn't, isn't the plot to that movie the exact same as the Avengers story? Well, the, I mean, if we're being honest, every big budget movie, there's always just a MacGuffin that they have to get. Yeah. And at the end, they get it and... Surprise, surprise, it means something else. It was like else. some gigantic, powerful creature from outer space saying, I need to find these things and then I'll be able to do this. And some group of superheroes saying, oh, no, we need to stop him from getting those things. It's right. kind of exactly the same. I mean, you went to Yale, so of course you don't you don't enjoy these things. You can't just let the common man have Look, it. man, we've watched like... Let us have Marvel. our bread and circus, Colin. We've watched so many Marvel movies since the pandemic started. And uh, I got to say, they're pretty good. Once you get into it, I was very resistant. Once you get into it, you kind of understand, like, the relationship between things. It, it makes it a lot better. Well, weren't you saying when we first started this podcast that, like, you didn't see Infinity War or something? Yeah, I, we were, like, we watched them, like, out of order. So, like, we had oh, okay. to go back and watch a bunch of things. But I will tell you, my wife cried three separate times during Endgame. Okay, I, let me guess the times. Um, <laughs> hmm. I'm going to say when Black Widow died, it's going to be one. Am I right? You're, she's not into Black Widow. No? No. Okay. Um, Tony Snap, I'm going to say, when Tony dies, that's got to be one. Uh, well, yeah. That, um, is that kind of the cap on the Cap on the bench and Cap going back in time. Like, just his whole ending. She only does. It's the only thing she likes about Captain America is the tight pants with his butt. But um, oh, she course. cried when America, the... Uh, yes. When the women all come together oh, well, and, and help Captain Marvel, and it's like a girl power kind of moment. She cried during that. Wait, so what was the what was the third one then? Uh, when uh, Hawkeye goes back and f- his family is there. Oh, okay. So yeah, there we go. All right. Yeah. So your wife's a crier then. She, well, she claims not to be, but uh, there's evidence to the contrary. No. Right. I was gonna say. <laughs> I don't think I've never cried during a Marvel movie. I'm trying to think if I've ever cried during a movie. Um, you can admit I don't. Okay. I I don't. I'm not like nothing coming to mind. I, I don't think I have. I'm not like against it. I, I'm sure it could happen <laughs> it's properly. Not a pol- it's not a policy. No, like I've got nothing against it. It's just I don't like. I felt like everything. The bad things that happened in that movie. I don't know. Like I kind of felt like they were all earned. Like I'm not sad. Tony had his arc. He was ready to die. I cried during a movie called Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. I love that movie. I, you're the only person I know who's seen it. You didn't cry at the end of that movie? After, I mean, no. Can, can, are, we allowed to, the, are we allowed to spoil it? It's been yeah, out for like 20 years. Old. Yeah, that, it's an old movie. They start the movie by telling you that the girl is not going to die of cancer. <laughs> he says it. The narrator says, don't worry, she doesn't die. Fast forward to the end. She dies. I'm just bawling like a little baby. That's one of those. And we get one of these every year where it's like there's this one indie movie that everybody who sees it loves. but Nobody ever actually sees it. So it's just like an inside thing between like 11 people. You're the first person in my life who's seen that movie. Well, it makes it so much cooler when you can just like find someone. I, I have a shirt uh, of a, a very, very obscure independent movie and like a T-shirt like of a moment of that movie. And my wife was like, if anybody sees that shirt and knows what it is, you guys are like automatically best friends for the rest of your life. You heard of Twitch Plays Pokemon? What is this? Twitch Plays Pokemon. What is, that's it was a social experiment where they let like 
thousands of people control a single Pokemon game at once, and it goes so far off of the rails, a religion formed around this thing. Like they're like a whole, it's a whole wild thing. I got a shirt from that and nobody has ever understood it. And I just long for the day when somebody does. It's going to happen, man. One day. One day. And yeah. then you'll get, you'll guys will get married. Weren't we talking that's about basketball? Uh, I th- yeah, you were speaking, that's <laughs> talking we're about, speaking of going off the rails. That's yeah. the same way that this podcast has gone. Uh, you're up next, I think. Basketball. Okay. Transitioning out of New York, we have a former New Yorker, Bobby Portis. So let me just read you all of his career highs this year. Yes. Is either career high or tied for career high. Rebounding rate, steal rate, block rate, turnover rate in the positive way, like he's turning it over less than ever, three-point percentage, and field goal percentage. Rarely do you see a guy of career best at basically everything. That's what Bobby Portis is doing now. He's not getting the free throw line as much, but, like, who cares because he's shooting 45% on threes. So, like, just – I honestly, like, I looked at Bobby Portis on the Knicks last year, and I thought, like, this guy might not be in the NBA in two years. And now I'm looking at it like he's a borderline starter, and I think he's going to play real minutes in the playoffs. And, like, I don't think it's that crazy to suggest that in certain matchups he might be better than Brooke Lopez. I heard a lot of negativity about Bobby Portis this offseason. First of all, I've liked Bobby Portis ever since he was in high school. He was on the Arkansas uh, All-State team, I remember, when I worked at Max Preps. I loved his game, and I've loved him ever since. And he's a huge DFS guy, so those guys hold a special place in my heart. If he got enough minutes, he would always produce, and now he's he's getting minutes, but he's producing at an outlandish rate. Um, is I guess my question to you is, like, is this is this for real? Like, can you keep this up in the playoffs because that's all that really matters in Milwaukee? Or, like, is his defense, like, too bad that he won't be able to play? I mean, I, I don't think he's a 45% three-point shooter, if that's what you're asking, right? And that's, like, the real question. But they almost he has to be in order to stand the right, court. Like, defensive right. Defensive limitations. But for now, like, this has been really good value. And also just, like, looking at the Bucks situation, where they were hard-capped, where they basically had no depth because of the Drew Holiday trade, the fact that they were able to get this much regular season production out of Portis when, like, they're paying, like, $3 million. I think it's the biannual exception. That's really, really important. And by the way, the Bucks quietly, two and a half games out of the number one seed in the East. They play Philly again, I believe, on Saturday. They have two games left against the Nets. And the Nets and the Sixers are both like kind of hampered by injuries right now. If they get the number one seed because of Bobby Portis's bench production, like that's really meaningful. Worth it. Absolutely. Who's your next guy? Uh, let's see. You know what? Let's we've had enough of this East Coast Midwest stuff. Let's come out west. Um, a guy who, up until about two weeks ago, I probably would not have put on this list, but uh, because the Warriors are playing well and Steph Curry is going out of his mind, I'm gonna have to go with Kent Bazemore. The guy has uh, he slid into the starting lineup when Kelly Oubre got hurt, and he's kind of unlocked something with them. I guess it was. Uh, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Energy, hustle, uh, intelligence, basketball IQ, whatever it is. He just seems to fit in with that starting unit a lot better than Ubre, who a lot of people thought should have been coming off the bench to start the year. Uh, they elected to start him. Um, but yeah, Bazemore has been, he's been shooting well. He's been playing well. I think he's probably going to be the starter moving forward, or at least for the foreseeable future, um, as they slide Ubre to the bench. But I, I think he's done a lot for them, and... Um, a team that really lacked any sort of, you know, wing depth whatsoever. Uh, he ended up being a really important player for them. I think the Warriors really more than anything had some addition by subtraction where like James Wiseman, number two pick. Oh, he's, he has to play. He's, you know, the number two pick Kelly, right. Oh, we gave up a first round pick for this guy. Super athletic. We want to resign him. He has to play when really like succeeding for Steve Kerr is basically just like, are you smart? Will you move? Can you shoot? Ken Bazemore can do it. You know, getting Wiseman out of the lineup really helped. Like, if you look at their on-off splits, especially Curry's numbers, when Wiseman is off the floor, it's really staggering. And Bazemore is just one of those guys who, like, he knows how to play. Like, he's a veteran who's been in the league for a while. He's not going to do anything stupid. And when Stephen Curry is scoring 45 points a game, all you really have to do as a teammate is just not anything stupid. And he's that's where he's been. Curry and Bazemore together, uh, plus eight net rating in 621 minutes. So, what, are Coop, what are Oubre and Curry? 
Ubrey and Curry? Let me check. Yeah. I'm going to guess that it's negative, by the way. Uh, Ubrey and Curry, negative 1.7 in 1,115 minutes. Well, I mean, it was just a part of that starting lineup that made no sense whatsoever. Yeah. With Wiseman and with Wiggins. Like, that just, that made no sense. Now these, like, the injuries have really allowed the Warriors to, like, play the way that the Warriors want to play instead of just, like, putting the biggest name guys on the floor. And it's really helped. Now we know that Ubre wants to be a starter for the long haul. Like, we heard that Andrew Bogut report a few weeks ago. Do you think he's going to leave as a free agent now? Probably. I mean, I would. He doesn't really fit in, and I think that's pretty obvious. I mean, I think everybody's trying to make the best of the situation, and he's had flashes of, of being good, but it's just it's not an easy system to play in, and he's not, at least it doesn't seem like the right type of player. Now, if he is comfortable coming off the bench and being kind of an energy guy, that's one thing, but it doesn't sound like that's he has any interest in doing that. So, I would, I mean, well, I would, I would imagine. Yeah, like what I'm wondering is, Who's going to offer him a starting job? Like, who is, like, really itching for Kelly Oubre to be their starting small forward? Not a long list. Like, I get that small forwards are, like, in short supply. But I can't look at any of these cap space teams and think, like, wow, they really are a Kelly Oubre away. So with this bird rights, like, at the very least, if you're the Warriors, you get a first-round pick for him. You can't just let him walk for nothing. So I think their best-case scenario is probably, like, even if you have to give up a pick to do it, just sign and trade him somewhere and get a trade exception because they need to fill that salary slot with something. Yeah, because they they got a lot of money owed to three people. Well, four with Wiggins too. <laughs> That's funny. Wiggins is it. Wiggins makes more in a game than I think I do in a decade. I haven't done the exact math, but that's around where we're. I at. think yeah. If, I mean, if I made what, how much does he make per game? You think? Well, he makes thirty million a year, so eighty-two games. Well, seventy-two games this year. Uh, I can't do that math, but it's probably something like hundred, couple hundred thousand a game. I'm guessing. Yeah, man, that's wild. It's like several years for us. That's I crazy. think there are games where I would be more helpful to the Warriors than Wiggins. Ouch. He's been really good. I mean, uh, really good relatively this year. He's been. He's I wouldn't been. take any bad shots. He only takes bad shots when he has to. There's just there's that time when when Steph's on the court often. when they're just like, hey, what, what else are we gonna do? Like, what what are our options here? Like Michael Mulder? All right, take a take a step right, back. Talking about range. Wiggins is depressing. I want to talk about somebody fun, and it's not Let's somebody go. you would suspect. Let's talk about Daniel Gafford. Yes. The Wizards obviously not known for their defense. With Daniel Gafford on the floor, they are allowing 105.9 points per hundred possessions. With that number in perspective, the number one ranked Los Angeles Lakers are allowing 106.2. They have essentially been the best defense in the NBA with Daniel Gafford on the floor. Let me read you his per 36 stats. He is obviously not somebody who plays like really insane numbers of minutes. Per 36, he scores 24.6 points, 12.5 rebounds, 4.2 blocks on 67% shooting. Daniel Gafford, man, he's a real player for them. Can we call him the steal of the NBA trade deadline? Is that is it premature? What exactly went into that deal? That was Troy Brown to the Bulls. And like, by the way, I think Troy Brown is good, and I would have rather held on to him. But for whatever reason, Scott Brooks just seemed to hate him. So, I mean, I thought that was a bizarre trade to me. They gave up Mo Wagner too. Daniel Gafford is awesome. You're right. He might be the steal of the deadline. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather have him. I know there's a lot of Mo Wagner people out there, but I'd rather have Gafford. He, he was, I mean, he was good in short stints with the Bulls too. It's just, he's just one of those guys that, you know, I, I don't watch the games closely enough to know why, but he, he can just never stay on the court. Like, I don't think he gets in like foul trouble. I think he just, just gets benched and they use him as a third center or, a, you know, a 15 minute a game guy. So uh, what he's doing with the Wizards, I mean, you could tell, like, uh, if you watched that that Warriors game where they locked down Steph Curry, it obviously wasn't Daniel Gafford guarding Steph Curry, but he just makes an immediate impact whenever he comes in with his rim protection. And then offensively, he's a monster on the offensive boards. He uh, pretty much finishes anything around the rim. He can jump out of the gym. So I, I love Daniel Gafford. Again, another fantasy guy, just you know, per minute stats just through the roof. But, like, honestly, the, the Wizards are playing Alex Len. And Brooke Lopez, like, can we just get Gafford, like, 28, 30 minutes a night and just call it a day for the rest of the year? Well, this was the issue in Chicago was they had Laurie Markkinen and Wendell Carter and Thaddeus Young. Like, they had bigs that they were more invested in that got their that got all the minutes. 
Washington, like, you don't have much invested in Alex Len. You don't have much invested in Robin Lopez. Like, you guys have a chance to sneak into the play-in now. Like, I think they're either tied for 10 or, like, pretty close. Just play your best big man. Yeah, they're they're in number 10 now. They're ahead of Chicago. So, like, just play your best player, and it's clearly Daniel Gafford. And they can always fall back on Robin Lopez, too, because he's just, like, Mr. Steady. You know, like, you know exactly what you're getting from him. So if Gafford's, like, doing weird stuff or, you know, missing defensive assignments or whatever, like, at least you can always fall back on him. But, like, give the kid a chance. Like, give him some confidence. I mean, seems Why? to be he paired, he paired well with Russ. They seem to have good chemistry already. What is Alex Lenz, like, virtue as an NBA player? What does he do well? He's really big. That's that's the whole thing, right? Like, he's just a big guy. Remember when he was the fourth pick in the NBA draft? Like, remember when teams thought that way? Like, we joke about Jaleel Okafor as, like, the all-time, wow, like, the, the league is changing. Alex Len being the number four pick is, like, really wild to me. And I think it's even crazier because, like, at least in the last couple of years, like, Alex Len has started trying to shoot threes. He's not very good at them, but at least he's trying. But, like... When he was drafted, nobody thought he was going to be shooting threes. They still took him fourth overall. I just wonder, what was the idea of Alex Len at number four? Like, did the Suns think this guy's going to be, like, an ace rim protector? Like, they think he's going to score 20 points. Like, who did they think he was going to be? Did they think he was going to be Vucevic? They think he was going to be, I don't know. I, I have no clue. I don't he's, know. Athletic, he's athletic. Maybe, like, a Tyson Chandler. Was that still, was that too late for the Tyson, Tyson Chandler Tyson Chandler thing? was on that team, yeah. He started ahead of him. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a replacement for him. Just like athletic rim runner, lob catcher, shot blocker guy. I don't know. He never materialized. Nerlens Noel not right behind him Alex draft. I would, yeah. By the way, wasn't oh I guess he had the torn ACL. That's why he went so late. Like Nerlens Noel was the number one pick throughout that process. Then he went number six. Yeah. Alex yeah. Len going and Cody Zeller went number three in that draft. Yeah, four. I remember that. I love Cody Zeller too. I was like, I like this guy. That was where my head was at. Back in uh, 2013. We've learned a lot about drafting since. Times they are a-changing. Another big guy. Uh, Actually, I have two big guys. Let's go. I have another big guy left as well. Let's go to Boston. Tristan Thompson. I mean, I think that the real thing for him is that he's not Daniel Tice. Like, I'm not the first person to say this. But I think in part they traded Daniel Tice so that Brad Stevens couldn't play Daniel Tice anymore. Yes, agreed. And... Rob Williams is awesome, uh, but he's hurt and he gets in foul trouble and he's kind of out of shape. So Tristan, I just love guys that just like he knows exactly what he is and like he's not going to do anything crazy. He's going to offensive rebound. He's going to beat some people up. Some nights it's just not going to work. So you bench him, whatever. But I, I think having a guy like that for the Celtics who have struggled in the past in terms of rebounding, getting a guy like that. I think it's just really important, even though he does obviously have uh, a lot of offensive limitations. I think what he brings defensively and on the boards is really important for them. And I think he's going to well, play a big role moving forward. We should start with just he was bad early in the season, right? Like was. that wasn't a, that wasn't a myth. He's, he seems to have figured it out. But you mentioned Time Lord and like I, he's, he's out now. Time Lord is the future at center for them. And I don't know where that leaves Tristan Thompson. Like they tried some of those two big lineups earlier in the year. I don't think that's their end game, especially after training for Fournier. So I, what is he next year? Is he like a 15-minute-a-game player? Yeah, I mean, I think you're okay with that. And, like, you, I mean, we always talk about, like, when's the last time a team got through a season healthy? Like, there's going to be times during the year, like, sure, his ideal role might be 15, 20 minutes maybe. But, uh, you know, by the end of the year, he's going to have week-long stretches, two-week-long stretches where he's a starting center. So, I, I mean... I think having a guy like that is worth it. And then the postseason is what they're, you know, what you really get a guy like that for to, to provide some toughness and energy. And we've seen, you know, guys like Dwayne Howard, who was also on my list, by the way, um, come in and just kind of rough stuff up. And I think that's an important role for, for a team like Boston, you know, a young emerging team to try to, to have. Well, I think Thompson fits a really like specific niche that not many centers fit where he's really switchable, but he's also a great lob finisher. Like, at least in theory, he was in Cleveland. Like, usually when you think of switchable centers, you think of smaller guys who aren't, like, leaping out of the gym. So, like, it's a weird little niche that Boston has where, like, you can switch one through five a little bit with Tristan Thompson, but you still get the offensive rebounding. You still get the center stuff on offense. That's a really rare sort of player, but I am just so all in on Time Lord that I'm just, like, not – I kind of just want Tristan Thompson to go away. 
Yeah, but they, they still need somebody. They need a backup. Sure. What do you want to say about Dwight Howard? Because I am pretty anti-Dwight Howard. Uh, best rebounding season of his career. Um, Embiid off the court is generally a disaster, but I think he provides meaningful minutes for a team that needs him. I don't know what he's going to be in the playoffs, but I think in the regular season, he's been good. That's all I got. This is my pitch. I don't want him to play in the playoffs. I want Ben Simmons to be their backup center. Uh, yeah, I mean, I hear that, but look at the Lakers. Like Sometimes there's just matchups where you, you got to play Dwight Howard. Well, I mean, look at who they're going to have to play in the East. It's like, do you really want to play Dwight Howard against the Nets? Like, does that sound like it's going to go well? What if they get a, the three like seed and they get the me. Knicks in the first round? Who's going to match up with Nerlens Noel? <laughs> I'm just, I'm saying if you're playing Dwight Howard, that sounds like an invitation for the Nets to steal 10 DeAndre Jordan minutes. Or for the Bucks to steal some Bobby Portis minutes. Like, I don't know. Like, I think you're helping the other team more than you're hurting them if you're playing Dwight Howard. I don't like those bench lineups. I mean, some of this is just on Doc because they don't stagger Simmons and Embiid as much as they quote unquote should. And the idea behind that is sound. It's we're going to get them as much experience together as possible so that when the playoffs arrive, they know how to play together. The downside, of course, is that you have a lot of really ugly minutes that I hope you don't have in the playoffs. Like their argument for being the best team in the East is essentially that when you get to the playoffs, you don't have to play Dwight anymore. You don't have to play Mike Scott anymore. You don't have to play Tyrese Maxey anymore. Like, you can really just go with your top eight. Their bench minutes are ugly, and I think he's kind of a big part of that. 17 rebounds for 36 minutes, five and a half offensive for 36. That's all I'm saying. Sometimes you get your team a couple extra shots, play, you know, do your Dwight thing where you try to get in people's heads and get technicals and stuff. Mix stuff up. That's all I'm saying. I think he's been valuable. I'm kind of with Chris Herring on this. I don't think that rebounding really matters. That was a really cool article, and I think. You know, I'm not sure if he just outright said it, but like uh, the gist to me was like, like the individual rebounding numbers don't really matter because somebody's going to get those rebounds. It's like, right. Because the other team doesn't care about offensive rebounding anymore for the most part. Like your guard can come in and get it. Your forward can come get it. Like just because Andre Drummond happens to be the guy that's standing there and gets the ball doesn't make him valuable. I thought that was really interesting. I mean, my feeling on rebounding in general is that it only really matters as a vehicle to start transition so if you're not starting a bunch of fast breaks as a great rebounder or you're not preventing them by getting a bunch of offensive rebounds i i don't really see what the value is like oh wow that guy's a great rebounder gets 20 rebounds a game like it doesn't really mean much to me and like i don't see dwight howard really doing that like i don't see dwight howard really impacting the pace of the game all that often the thing he does is like he's kind of an agitator and he can really get under guys skin like he did that with Jokic last year he did that for a lot different Lakers a lot last year I don't know like that just doesn't seem super valuable to me I mean I'm not saying he's going to be changing the course of the playoffs but I thought for the regular season he's a valuable guy you want to talk about a valuable center yes let me throw a name out there for you Kem Birch the Raptors are plus 8.9 with him on the floor you and James Herbert man you guys are obsessed I was going to bring him up this is I mean James has been on this bandwagon a lot longer than I have but like he was in this situation in Orlando where he was very clearly the second best center, but because Mobamba was the top six pick, he wasn't getting played enough. And this goes back to Mobamba's rookie year, but like he's now playing in Toronto. Let me read you this quote from assistant coach Adrian Griffin. It's fun to have bigs. The last time we really had bigs was with Mark and Serge. So it's kind of an indictment on the centers he was replacing. Ouch. And it hates. goes to show, Ouch. it really goes to show just like how, much having a decent center can really help because Aaron Baines was like maybe the worst rotation player in the NBA. That's so sad. That, that was a, like when they signed, so they lost Gasol and they signed Baines. And it was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Baines. That's, you know, a kind of a close to a Gasol facsimile. And then it's like, it's just been an outright disaster. Like, what happened? I was very much pro Aaron Baines. And like, I wanted the Lakers to sign him. I wanted a contender to sign him. What we found was that short stretch last year at the beginning with Phoenix was the outlier and not yeah. the rest of his career. When he shot like 75% from three, he couldn't sustain that. that well, when they started the season like eight and three or whatever it was, he was playing the best defense of his life. Like that, that, that it turns out was not sustainable. Who would have Good for him though. He got his money. Well, yeah. Ken, I like Ken Birch. I got nothing against Ken Birch. He's no Dwight yeah, Howard. I, He's all right. I would, I would say that Ken Birch is better than Dwight Howard. <laughs> I feel pretty comfortable about that. 
Now the Raptors are not going to be playing as far into the playoffs as the Sixers, but like, you know, we talk about the Sixers or we talk about the Raptors needing a center and like, maybe they're going to trade for Andre Drummond or they have max space this offseason. Maybe they're going to sign someone. If they can just re-sign Ken Birch for the minimum, I'd rather they use their cap space elsewhere. Like yeah. Ken Birch for the minimum is a good starter. How do you feel about Chris Boucher? I enjoy him. I, I don't think he's somebody who should play 35 minutes. Yeah. But like, I think he's a very Raptors bench guy where like, you know, all the Raptors will sign like Rondé Hollis Jefferson and like you won't see it for his entire career, but then he goes to the Raptors and just watch one bench, one bench stretch and you're just like, oh, I get it. That's sort of where I'm at with Chris Boucher, where like I think if he were on other teams, it wouldn't look quite as fun. But he's just kind of a perfect Raptor where like everything makes sense around him. I really wanted Chris Boucher to be like a starting center, but the more I watched him this year, I just don't I don't see it. He's fun. That's the thing. Like, he's not like someone you can depend on to be a starting center, but like he's for six minutes, he can kind of really like leave an imprint on a game. I forget who it was. Ugh. It was somebody like Robin Lopez. I just have him on our mind because we were talking about the Wizards earlier, but like it was somebody like that, like a big backup center. And Chris Boucher was playing center and he was just abusing him, just like sending him into the stands on every single play. And I was just like, man. Maybe this 140-pound guy can't be playing center in the NBA. Well, I think we tend to get out of hand sometimes about the speed at which the game is changing, where we look at Chris Boucher and we say, like, oh, skinny athletic guys who can block three-pointers like and shoot three-pointers themselves. That's the future of the position. But maybe we like went a little bit too far where like Chris Boucher might make a little more sense in five to ten years than he does now, while there are still big, bulky guys who can kind of abuse him. So he might have just been a little bit too early. It's just bad timing, that's all. Yeah, I think, you know, it was it was Steven Adams, I think. Oh, well, Steven Adams does that to bigger guys, too. Exactly. That's the thing. Like, he sees that little toothpick, and he's just like, out of the way, mate. That was my New Zealand accent. Pretty good, Oh, huh? I mean, you know what? Not bad. Do you watch Play the Concords? The I did not, know. Wow, okay. That's I'm dating myself a little bit, probably, but it's a, it's a good one. Just check it out. Take a white TT. I'm sure you're familiar of the Marvel comedic yes. comic universe. Who's who's next on your list? I only have one more guy. Oh, I do too. Did we like accidentally come up with the same number? We did not plan. Stop, stop telling people. We did we did this on purpose. We were very organized, as you can tell from our uh, multiple di- diversions into strange conversation topics. We have this all mapped out. It's all on the agenda. Um, my last guy is. I, I just love him. I, I love every team he goes to, on every team he goes to. Um, he recently got traded to the Pelicans, and they encountered some injury problems. And I, I love everything that he does in the court, his energy, his uh, sneaky athleticism, his irrational confidence on three-point shots, and that's James Johnson. Um, I know he's probably not going to be the most efficient player for you, but every time he comes on the court, I really enjoy watching him. He's a good playmaker. Uh, he's tough. I think it's what that team needed, and they've been playing he's better. A, since they he's another one of those loud role players where like stuff is always happening around him. Absolutely, he's like he's an underrated passer. The MMA stuff everybody knows about. Like I think that was like quietly part of the reason that Dallas traded for him was like the Morris twins aren't going to mess with Luca if James Johnson's on the floor. It didn't work out that way, and he obviously he didn't play well in Dallas. He didn't play well at the end in Miami. Like. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is that like gets him to play well in certain situations. But yeah, he's looked good in Dallas, or rather, he's looked good in New Orleans. So you're right. Like he he's a fun player to watch. Just he really falls into my. He is a loud role player, and when you have Zion, when you have that much kind of young talent, I'd maybe prefer some quieter guys for them. He's also got that like like he's either like a five minute a game guy or like a 35 minute a game guy. Like if he comes in and things are going well, it's going to be great. But if he comes in, and it's going bad. Like you need to pull him immediately. Yeah. Cause things can go very, very badly. <laughs> like he's got, well, a, he was on Dion Waiters, team at one point. It was kind of the same thing, right? They go on, they start 10 and 31 and then they go 31 and 10 the rest of the way. It's kind of the ultimate example of that. Yeah. And he's got uh, a two for 12 game with the Pelicans. He's got a one for nine game. Like things can go bad. Very quickly, but well, I love James Johnson. Situation then, right? Because nothing is working for them, so they can afford to just throw him against the wall and see if he stays. Yeah, they just have. That's one of the most inconsistent teams I remember seeing. They really, on any given night, man, like 
they and the Mavericks are sort of like this, where just the upside versus the downside is so enormous. But anyway, last guy on my list, every, people have talked about him plenty, so we don't have to get too deep. Nick Batum for the minimum, one of the best signings of the year, shooting 41% on threes, playing like pretty good defense for them. And even it's like, he's quietly kind of been one of their backup room protectors since Serge Ibaka got hurt. He has been like genuinely a starting or low-end starter caliber player. The secondary playmaking is very helpful for them. When you're a team like the Clippers who is capped out and doesn't have any first round picks, you have to hit on at least one signing like that. Like the Lakers did it with Dwight Howard last year. Clippers did it with Batum this year. When you're a contender, you need somebody like that. And they got him. Can the Hornet, I'm wondering, can the Hornets like, like ask for like back pay or like a, a refund or it's like a defective product. Like what, like what happened to this guy the last couple of years where he was just completely unplayable. Like I don't understand how he, he's a, a meaningful part of a potential championship team and he couldn't even play for like the 20 win Hornets. This doesn't make any sense. It's something in the water in Charlotte, man. Because, like, remember, Boris Diaw went to Charlotte, and his career almost ended. And then he gets to the Spurs, and he's Boris Diaw again. French forwards just do not like North Carolina. I don't know what it is. Wow, that's interesting. you got to do, like, a study, like something about the anti-French sentiment down there or something. I don't know. I don't want to start any rumors. The Hornets will have a $9 million cap charge on their books for the next two years, while Nick Batum is helping the Clippers compete for championships. You know what I wild, man. You know what I loved about Batum is like it was the first like week, maybe couple weeks, and like Batum was just knocking down these like clutch threes like with his team, and it's like this is the Clippers who are coming off this like awful playoff collapse, just terrible in, in fourth quarters, and like Batum's this veteran guy who's just like that's all right, I got it, and Abaka was doing it too, he's hitting big shots, making big plays. I'm like that's what made me think like okay, maybe this year will be different. Now it remains to be seen, but like. I know there's a lot of questions about, like, well, if Batum is on the court, like, is that really great for you in the playoffs? And I think there's hope that he's actually going to be productive and useful. Well, well, let's just game this out a little bit. Who would the eight or who are the nine for the Clippers? Like, Kawhi, Paul George, obviously. Marcus Morris, I think, has earned it. Um, Patrick Beverly, I have to assume, is playing a major role. Rondo, obviously. Zubat, Chapaka. Is Batum number eight? Am I forgetting anybody important there? Terrence Mann? I, man, Terrence Mann is good. I love like Terrence Mann. We can't talk about it. He hasn't played enough for most improved player, but like he might get it next year. The yeah. only good young player on that team, unless you think of Zubac is young. <laughs> I love Zubac, too. I love that whole team, man. Zubac has been awesome this year. Like I think they got Ibaka because they were afraid to play Zubac enough minutes in the playoffs. Zubac is probably better than Ibaka right now. Yeah, it's just a di- you know you don't get the stretch aspect. Right, it's, it's a different look, but like. Yeah. I got to tell you, if Anthony Davis is 100%, Serge Ibaka is not going to do anything against him. So having a having a Zubac's strength, I think, would be very helpful for them. Yeah, but yeah. he did really well against Jokic last time they played Denver. Yeah, to your point, I mean, I think Batum's going to play a really important role for them. Whether that's good or bad for them remains to be seen. But he's he's going to get the minutes. He's going to be out there. I think as far as eighth men go, they're in pretty good shape. Like, I'm not as worried about them as I am about Philly, where, like, after George Hill, I just wonder, like, oh, God, are you trusting Furkan Korkmaz? Are you trusting Jake Milton? Like, really? Ugh. Tyrese Maxey. I don't know who their seven and their eight and their nine is. Like, if they get to a game seven, they might honestly just play six guys. <laughs> they may have to. Embiid's, like, just rolling up and down the court on his back. It's like a roly-poly. Well, remember when they played Toronto in the second round a few years ago, they were like minus 109 when he sat. Like, yeah, it was bad. It's It could get really ugly. Like they might legitimately outplay Brooklyn when Embiid's on the floor. It doesn't matter because they're going to get killed on the bench minutes. Can you imagine? It's like Tobias Harris and Furkan Korkmaz against James Harden and Kevin Durant. Well, this is <laughs> why I want to play. I want them to play Ben Simmons as the backup center. Just don't overthink it. Put the small guy in, space around him, and just you can probably get some good shots that way. You'll get a ton of transition points that way. And you can switch defensively, which you kind of have to do against Brooklyn, given all their shooting. I agree. We've talked enough, I think. I, I think mean, we did it. We finally got to talk about some guys that are, you know, not in the headlines. I know we, we all like to talk about the big teams and the big players, but sometimes we got to give some love to the the little guys who, who make these teams go. So I think we, we did a pretty good job. I can die a happy man knowing 
that I have devoted podcast time to Daniel Gafford. Daniel Gafford and your boy Bruce Brown. You got him in early. This was a good podcast for just like us to empty the notebook on guys we like. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you just need to like make up topics just as an excuse to talk about people. So maybe they did a good job. That's what the entire podcasting industry is. On that note, we'll be leaving. Uh, like, subscribe, you know, rate, send it to your friends, do all that stuff. Uh, get some more listeners to this thing. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a lot more to talk about as the playoffs uh, come around. Um, Sam, thank you so much for joining me, and we'll do this again soon. Pleasure as always, Colin.